Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Cause nothing's more relaxing Than the cries of death and love So spend a ten Welcome to With Gorley and Rust. This time, we're talking Sasevenin. <sighs> we are finally talking about Sasevenin. What is that? No, it's not an Armenian surname. It's the way you pronounce the movie as written in its marketing. Right? Yeah, we're only honoring the title that we see every time. S E. Numeral seven, E N. Sevenin. Sevenin. Paul, Matt, good to see you. Hey, it's great to see you. Um, I gotta say, uh, after this recording session here today, I gotta go to a therapy session. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, which is, uh, they're great when you're done. You know, yeah. you feel good, but. It's not something you look forward to necessarily, no, man. Right, right. Right after that, I got to zip, zip on over to a six-month dental checkup oh. exam. <clears throat> also boring and also a bummer. So I got to say, this little sanctuary here yeah. where I get to come in and you have a cup of hot brown for me, mm-hmm. I get to... Uh, look into the eyes of a joyful child who now, when I go to the bathroom, when I'm away, she says, see Paul, see Paul. (laughs) How could that be any better? (laughs) Then I come back out. I see her. We get to talk and have fun. (laughs) Obviously your lovely wife. And then to get to sit down and talk about, uh, one just one of the best movies uh, on oh, earth. So good with a buddy. It's, It's the best. I feel the same. My friend, uh, highlight of my day. Mm hmm. I get torn between whether I want it to start my day or end my day sometimes, you know? Yeah, Cause I know. after this, where do I go from here? It would definitely be nice in the reverso if kicked off a therapy session, a day with a therapy session, got the dental exam, then had this podcast waiting for me. Yeah. But then you'd be talking to me maybe with like a, 
If I got a shot in my Who mouth knows, or something, right. a you cleaning, be I'd be like, bar, 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 bar. a mouthful of cotton for all we know. Yeah. Those are like, Paul, oh, we could take that out. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Keep it in. I'm like, oh boy. It's in this way. <laughs> what is uh, he? Uh, just one of the twisted uh, characters like John Doe and Sith the Hess of Heaven. We'll get into this because we got business to cover, mm-hmm. but just to, just to kind of hook the listeners, mm. I mm. had mm. no idea that mm. the original choice for John Doe for this film is going to sound like I'm joking. Ned Beatty. Man, oh man. Is that great? Because he looked like a police sketch, they thought. Wow. Which is, uh, hey, the, 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 the parallels to this and Zodiac are uh, innumerable. But the idea of like um, having to cast somebody who would look like the description of regular guy yeah. or normal looking, Ned Beatty is like <laughs> I know a, a face you just maybe see and then it pass and you wouldn't necessarily be like, hey, that's um, Movie Land's Kevin Spacey. Yeah, because if you'd seen Usual Suspects, right, and Which he was- did the. Um, uh, let's kick this off with a praise for something Kevin Spacey did. <laughs> uh, but and no. then only go more praise <laughs> yeah, yeah. from then on. Exponentially. Uh, no, the thing that he didn't put his name in the opening credits right. so that uh, you'd it, the surprise would be fully buried yeah. uh, is so cool. I, I mean, know. you could say that it's partly vanity too it's not like an, an entirely yeah act of non-vanity yeah like there's you, some cachet yeah you'd involved. be like and then oh because then i get to feel the ripple of sheer excitement babe through the audience <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's what i think probably the only last little pearl of uh praise that i'll have for kevin spacey otherwise uh, yeah pretty well annoying yeah and i mean a brutal killer <laughs> Did you? Yeah, let's not distinguish between Kevin Spacey and the character John Doe at any point. Let's in just the call John Doe was the alias for the actor Kevin Spacey who did the actual killings. This was based on a true story. We're blowing the lid off it today, uh, folks. But that Ned Beatty thought that this movie was too dark, and this was a man who was sodomized in a backwoods, uh, yeah, uh, Appalachian, right? Uh, yeah, in, in deliverance, in deliverance. Yeah, yeah I. Uh, Hey, maybe hats off to him in the sense that uh, it's like I can identify with victim rather than victimizer. Maybe that was his moral code of like what the character he wants to play. I mean, it is a dark movie. Let's not kid ourselves. Look, Uh, which set heaven or deliverance or uh, all the above? Seven and yeah. This is with Gorley and Rust. Hey, this is with Gorley and Rust. That was sort of like a little, kind of like much like the movie. Kind of just opens, uh-huh. oh my gosh, Somerset's laying down his clothes to get ready for the thing, and then you are thrown into a crime scene, and then the the credits come. Now this is the part of like, get me closer to God. I remember when I first saw the title credits. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Hold on. Take, take Pump it. them brakes, Rusty. Pump them brakes. Oh, no, no. You go. Go. No, no, no. Let's we're, that's... We're, we're experts at opening tabs. I know where we are. You, you do, you do. No, but I like... You do, you do. I like the idea of that's uh, waiting for us okay. to discuss Just a teaser. after... Yeah, yeah okay. after business. 
You can go to our Patreon at with Gorlian, uh, pa- uh, patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Yeah, and, you did it. Yes. You can subscribe at one of four levels. You can get uh, advertising free week early episodes. You can get mailbag episodes. You can get film commentaries. You can. We're doing special episodes. Why? Just next week, we're, we're going to record our rankings of top five part threes top five part threes from the franchise slasher realm yeah the best part threes we're gonna rank them top five you have your it's not like together matt and i come together and we go what no, is no. the top five there's no it's, cons- a, it's yeah. a heated oh debate. my God. last time we got into a physical fight <laughs> eat your heart out celebrity death match yeah <laughs> right uh and then uh Boy, maybe I don't have as much business as I thought. Now, when you subscribe at the Xenomorph level, the baby Xenomorph level, starting with what we are now calling Shine and Mining. Shine and Mining? Yeah, that came or up. Mining the Shiny. I don't know. Well, we, we discussed that on a vidbit, which yeah. is something also right. that uh, people can enjoy. Right we do now. little video check on, check-ins on there. But if you subscribe at the baby Xenomorph level for the next season where we do a deep dive on just the Shining, mm-hmm. you'll get it live streaming along with that. That's video to you and me. Live. Yeah. And so what that means is the baby Xenomorph subscriber level has become more populated and we read out the name of any baby xenomorph subscriber that wants to email yeah. us at with Gorley and rust at gmail.com mm-hmm. and uh we have too many to read today fun so we'll get through some of them but okay. we'll save some for the for the upcoming episodes hey, all right well thank y'all yeah um Hell, I believe that's all the business. Well, that, 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 oh, that's great. Oh, and, and shoot, I should say we're taking a break this after this week for one week. And then we come back with Sinister. And the, yeah, the final three of this season. And that's the order for people if they kind of want to start watching. It's yeah, Sinister, Sinister, then uh, Binky's Last Blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, it's either the oh sinister, the sinister then conjuring, the conjuring then the vanishing then the vanishing yeah um uh and also i want to just say thank you brother for always handling the business talk in these episodes oh, and thank you for always being so good about posting on social media is something that i am always horrible about and you allow me to just retweet Oh, well, that's easier than uh, the other, what you're doing. Uh, Hey, look at that, guys. Two co-hosts sharing mutual appreciation. Yep. And one last detail. You won't get that on Hannity and Combs. Oh, God, those guys are still together, aren't they? They're still buttonheads after all these years. (laughs) He died? Combs is dead. Oh, man. R.I.P. Combs. Wow. And uh, 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 for for Jason Statham, R.I.P. Combs. Oh, he's bald. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was wonderful. That's an all-timer for me. Just the I just walked right up to the cliff and didn't even know I was going to get pushed off into a Well, maybe he's not the most famously bald guy. I no, could have maybe No, but that's the best part about it. Gordon from Sesame Street. So, uh, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to say is the vanishing is the original vanishing from 1988. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe at some point we'll do the the Bridges um Sutherland the bridges of Madison vanishing. The bridges, bridges of, of Sutherland County. Yeah. Okay. Now, what were you teasing us with? Oh well, just hey. Um, how oh about- well, just hey. <laughs> That's uh, 
Mm. I already did a pun. I can't do it otherwise. I was just, okay, so I'm not even going to do that. I was going to say it and do it. Yeah. Okay, so the credit sequence. Yes. How about that little title sequence? Oh, good golly. Not since a James Bond film? Yeah. Or even a, not since a series of films. I mean, Fincher is pr- pretty well known now for his title sequences. He does them a la James Bond, that they're, they're little films within themselves. Yeah. Music videos. Especially at that time, right? That was yeah. uh, when the coolest thing you could do is just have the title kind of come up real quick and then you're out. Right. And you save all the credits right. for the end, even for the new, new Hollywood, whatever that was going on in the 90s here. I think that was even kind of a cool thing to do to save it all for the end. But like, uh, it's the most where, uh, uh, whatever the style of a music video or a commercial that David Fincher was a doing yeah. pre this, the career, it's like those qualities put to the best use in the world. It's not like it doesn't seem indulgent. It just seems like it's set in this like really creepy kind of skin crawly uh, atmosphere and it, I remember the first time I saw this that was when I got like truly like well I remember the first scene being like what why is this movie starting this way kind of like being like rattled that way and then when the credits started being a real you could tell you're on for a different kind yeah. of life. Yeah. What was your? Let's start there, Matt. Okay. What was your first uh, memory of watching this? I've told the story it. before on the podcast that I saw this in the theater with my then girlfriend, and it was really harrowing and effective. It definitely worked. I loved it just as much then as I do now. And then right when he Brad Pitt's about to open up the cardboard box, the lights went full on in the theater, and the alarm started blaring. There was some kind of fire. Right. Or a fire drill. I don't know what it was, but we were ushered out of the theater. And we, I think, yeah, we were allowed to go back in and watch it, but it really killed the momentum. It wasn't a fault of the movie. The movie still was good, but it really bummed me out because we were in that good immersive moment of that film. Yeah. yeah and how was the, what did they do then? Was it like, come back and we'll start it from the moment? Where it went down, or was it like, we'll give you tickets to go to the next screening in an hour? No, I think they maybe gave us free passes for future use, but we went in, and as far as I remember, they just started it literally right where it left off. So Uh it was like, what's Uh in the... 40 minutes later, bucks! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because those are really dispiriting moments in an audience, even during a crappy movie. Yeah. Yeah. But you would have to know at that point, this movie is a wrapping up, ratcheting it up. Mm-hmm. So for it to be cut from the knees from that, did it, was that, did it get a true groan from the audience? No, it wasn't a groan because I think people were legitimately, first of all, you were jarred. It was scary. It Alarms were so, just like, like who gives a shit? But it wasn't even like, oh, here. are we on, is there a fire? Is there an earthquake? What is the issue? It was just the fear of being jarred when you're watching this movie. It felt like part of the movie. And then, yeah. then you're like, oh, what? Well, yeah, is this a real emergency? And so you kind of focus on that. Then you get outside and then you're like disappointed and a little upset. Yeah. Because I don't think there was a fire. It might've been a drill. Yeah. Wow. Because this, whatever the, uh, this movie does the same thing that's like awesome about like the exorcist or jaws, which is like somehow the 
it doesn't even mean the same level of terror. It's just whatever yeah. its thing is, is the thing that keeps getting like dialed up each scene. Yeah. And so what I would say, you know, whatever exorcist form of terror and jaws form of terror, I don't, couldn't put into words, but with seven, it just seems to be like under the skin, kind of like mm-hmm. uneasiness. Terror yeah, is like what real, it is that ugh. like, you never really experienced fully in a movie. I mean, Silence like of the Lambs, obviously, this crime, wouldn't exist. Maybe yeah. if Silence of the Lambs haven't, hadn't been made. But uh, it's, by the end there, I would see it being like a real, the movie, for the alarm, you were just saying it's just jarring to happen. It's because the audience by that point has been so softened up in their oh, own like yeah. juices, yeah. No <laughs> like of just vulnerability. That would be we've re- been lying near dead in a bed with belts around our limbs, being kept alive. Yeah, <laughs> but I've mentioned this before on the podcast. But then with that same girlfriend in two thousand, we went to see the re-release of The Exorcist, and we were the only ones in the theater except for a man who came in with a severe limp and would not sit down, and he kept walking from exit. And he'd exit and then he'd come back in another entrance and just was milling around the theater. And that was another one of just like this. It it was not associated with thematically with the film, like this fire alarm was, but it still gave you a similar sense of dread and unease. Well, just in the previous episode with the strangers, I talked about how I was me, uh, uh, yeah, my girlfriend at the time. And then somebody walked in and just like sat and kept talking yeah. whispers to the other person and then hearing the creaks and moans of like an old multiplex. Um, so the... Uh, uh, I'm an old multiplex. Yeah. Well, why can't that stuff happen? It sounds like it's happened all, during all these creepy, crawly, scary movies. Why didn't that happen during Cop and a Half? Why didn't that yeah. happen during uh, uh, um, Two Shakes of a Lamb's Tail? Jeez. I saw Get Out and there was a uh, white dude and I want to say he was like in an overcoat and he kept kind of coming and going. He seemed agitated. He had a seat, but there was something I was like, because this was post, uh, you know, um, Dark Knight shooting and mm. and it's a racially tinged movie. And I was just like, oh, good. Uh. Well, uh, my uh, buddy Neil and I, we each went with our... Uh, Each partners. other's wives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we swapped for one movie, the De Palma documentary. You can hold hands, but that's it. <laughs> the De Palma documentary. Uh, uh, no, we all uh, went to the movies, a double date, and we went and saw the De Palma documentary at the Arclight, and we had a real kind of like um, hand-in-glove uh spectator movie experience where before during the trailers a man who was sitting alone behind us and it was um uh the two ladies then neil then me that's how we were seated the four Mm -hmm. of us down and apparently this guy didn't like light whispering during Uh, the trailers which i think is still fair it's fair game. That's fair. And if you get rankled by it, you're a loser. Yeah. <laughs> like, save, save it for when the movie starts. If they're yeah, still doing it, for you the... got an issue. You got a legitimate beef. But yeah. come on. I'm mad that you're getting in the way of be- me being advertised to. It's kind of, all right. <laughs> well, who cares? Uh, uh, but he did the like head down between hostile whispering, angry uh, 
at the um at our dates. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because were they the ones? Whispering? It was because the way it was seated. Oh yeah, we're down too, so we're like looking down, seeing this. Oh right. And then uh, uh, Neil turned and was like, "You got to cool it down, dude." But he stayed nice. there. But having like a guy who's like leg is nervously like going up and down behind you for the rest of the movie oh. when you're watching about like do you remember people are going like what well, was the Tapalba documentary oh, it so it was sort of like the movie asked the question of like um can hostile feelings towards women be artful in this day? it was like yeah. it does end with this like i love the Tapalba documentary because it was sort of like uh always from his point of view and then it ended with like a picture of him uh, being surrounded by naked bodies, like holding a gun, it wasn't like letting him off. Yeah, not that he even needs to be let off. Who gives right. a shit? I just like it was like it wasn't this glowing Valentine movie. So it was asking complicated questions, but it was a little weird when the guy who like uh, <laughs> uh, is alone and gets angry at his cinematic experience during the trailers. Yeah. It did feel like a. a is this a Phantom of the Opera situation? Does this guy live up in the rafters <laughs> he does. when we're gone? He's the moaning and the creaking of the old cinema. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Um, so you come here for the seven talk, but you stay for the experiences of us Getting feeling smooth. threatened by our gals during scary movies. What uh, What was your first experience with seven? So seven and <laughs> seven none. Um, I saw it in the best way possible. Uh, I say that half cheeky, half true, but it was like, um, in the basement of a friend's house during no theater. You didn't even catch it. In the theater. It was on video. I remember when it came out in theater theaters and, this um, seems like you'd be like first in line for this type of movie for some reason. Yeah, it didn't. I remember it took a bit to come to our local theater. Was Fincher one. wasn't like a household name at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, but by the time it arrived in our theaters, it was the talk of the town, the talk of the school, which is so cool. Everybody yeah. just being like, you got to see this fucking movie. Said like, it blew people's minds, and now everybody's talking about it. And people were also being really gentle about not revealing That's secrets nice. or anything like that. So it's more of like, Oh, I gotta see this. And, uh, this is really cool, but I was at a community theater play during that time. And so my Fridays and Saturdays were like taken. I remember like driving by and seeing the marquee seven S E V E. Sure. Sure. You know? sure. Um, but, uh, missed it then. And then when it came out on video, that spring 96, uh, is when um, I was having the first boy-girl parties, first boy-girl movie-watching parties. Wow. And so I, uh, I, I remember sitting on a couch watching this on video with probably like 10 other boys and girls in, this would have been eighth grade, and everybody just... Oh. You know, it's that cool thing that can happen with an audience that at first is, they're not necessarily there to watch the movie, but the movie's power is so great. It can fucking silence like a room of like a rowdy 14 year olds. <sighs> this must have blown your mind. Yeah. 14 years old. That's what I meant when I was like yeah. half cheeky. Cause I, it was kind of the best way to see it. Cause it was a group of teenagers. Nobody had seen it 
all getting their like minds blown collectively. Oh my God, that's and, amazing. And so when that title sequence oh. did come up, I remember us thinking like, I remember being like, whoa, I just heard Closer from Nine Inch Nails. Don't hear that from many straight studio movies, like a Nine Inch Nails. And that looked like a music video. And it was also like, you see the razor blade kind of go underneath the fingertip oh, for a yeah. moment. Like it's real queasy stuff. It is. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember like sitting next to a girl who wasn't a crush, who wasn't a girlfriend or anything. It was just a gal pal, Katie, and me and Katie talking like during seven, just being like, this is so, and, but also just the fun of like, oh, this isn't now boy parties anymore. You get the hit of like getting to a girl you see in school. Now you get to hang out on the weekends. Yeah. It's really it was oh, fun. Well, yeah. This is maybe one of my favorite memories little recollections of yours that and the jason statham joke this is, this is all time top tier episode yes me. oh boy <laughs> i'm serious uh well katie had the top tier comment of uh, the night when kevin spacey is in the back of the cop car and he's all bald and it's just like the shot of him shoulders yeah. to head um and the car's kind of like rattling and stuff as he's talking uh uh we're all held, you know, it's a pretty tense moment. And uh, Katie goes, hey, this looks like the 1979 video. Because <laughs> we remember bald Billy Corgan oh, in the back yeah. seat and stuff. Got a huge laugh. So uh, <laughs> bravo, Katie. Um, well, I cannot believe how few notes I took on this movie because... That's what Philip Glass said. I can't do any punts now. <laughs> Who's yes, the famous minimalist? Uh, Marie Kondo. <laughs> Marie Kondo looking at some music sheets. Yeah. I'm really surprised how many lack of notes I have here. She throws all her Mozart sheet music out because too many notes. <laughs> too many notes. Um, uh, Mozart should be a, a, a studio exec. Yeah. Too many notes. Mozart, does this note, note bring you joy? Noit? Does this note bring you joy? I took so few notes because I was so into this movie and, and I also mean that in the sense of like no notes, meaning I, I, let me see. Oh, like no notes. Like yeah. what was like a flaw in this movie? Yeah. It's really hard pressed. It's like a, I think I have, I have eight notes, none of which are critical. Um, do you think they'll, they just come up organically as like, cause I think seven, uh, you know, it's pretty um, easy movie to break down just in terms of like it's chunks. Yeah. Right. There's sort of like, maybe just like kind of five little big chunks. Yeah. Of, let's do that. I always like when we just do a general discussion and yeah. I never need to dissect sure. it beat by beat. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I, in fact, I already covered one of them, the Ned Beatty thing. Yeah. So let's imagine what, if Ned Beatty had been cast. I was jarred when I first read that. Thank you, Brantley, by the way. Thank you, Brantley Palmer. But then I did start to think there would be a sympathetic element that Kevin Spacey does not have for me, that Ned Beatty does have for me. That would be an interesting element. I'm not saying it'd be better or worse. It mm -hmm. would just be an really element. interesting. It would feel like an actual killer. Like when you end up seeing the Golden State Killer or whatever, like um, Ned Beatty apparently looked a lot like the Zodiac killer, according to David Fincher, who grew up in that era and that place mm. when that took place. But Ned Beatty from association of roles he's played where he's often like a beta, you know, mm -hmm. 
he would have an underlying sympathetic tone that would be really interesting in this. Not that you would sympathize with him, but you would, it would be less somehow less sinister and then somehow more sinister. Yeah. 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 Cause he, uh, he's the bad guy in a uh, toy story three. Yeah. And that voice being like the voice of kindness, but also kind of benign, like, uh, yeah. uh hostility or something. Uh, yeah. uh, but the, yeah, it is. It's funny because the dance a little bit in some of those scenes with the Kevin Spacey character is the like, I feel it's a kind of like the moments it goes in and out of an audience identifying with like his observation, but then it falls apart with like where he goes from it. But like, I feel like that's part of the seduction of the movie is kind of like, uh, am I any different? You know, whatever that cliche is yeah. like, then the general you all feel it's just asking sort of like provocative questions that like, if it was coming out of the mouth of Ned Beatty, it would be different than just Dr. Snark <laughs> coming in and kind of provoking questions that seem like, yes, to poke a finger a little bit, as opposed to uh, maybe an uncle who's gone down on the right track <laughs> yeah, and is like laying his case out. Right. Um, but yeah, the Kevin Spacey, you know, it's funny because like I was, um, I don't know. Good or bad, I do a fairly, I can be fairly consistent in the separating the mm -hmm. art from the artist. And so that wasn't Especially even. Especially when a movie happens so long before you're aware of what the person's like. Because I have just decades now of understanding Kevin Spacey in this movie as a part of this movie. More, I have more familiarity with this, him in this movie, than I do with him associated with his scandals. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. How you experience, yes. And, uh, you know, uh, not at all dismissing the uh, heinous acts that I he's am. done. I uh, am. <laughs> this movie clears him. I mean, look uh, at him. He's innocent. Um, like, you know, the thing of like, uh, so I'm going to let him spoil the best work of other uh, yeah, people no who no all are doing it would be well, also, whether it was good or bad work, just you be, shouldn't like let that spoil like another person's like, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's best performance or something like that. It'd I'm not be gonna, different yeah, yeah. too if the best movie that he made wasn't this, but it was Pay It Forward or K Pax, where he's being asked to be a gentle, kind soul. He's playing the most despicable human. Okay, being. so yeah. this is where I ended up with this movie. I okay. was like, oh, I don't. Uh, it's not. I don't get hangups about separating the art from the artist. I get if it is hard for people, I'm not just, you know, yeah. totally. Um, but for me, but then I was like, Oh, it's not a bug. It's a feature. I know with Kevin Spacey now, particularly. And this was the newest experience I had watching set seven. And then <laughs> this time around was I was looking for examples of how this movie is just, nihilistic uh, Nietzsche, frat boy Nietzsche. Thinking. Which, yeah, it borders on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like uh, like the liner notes of a Marilyn Manson album or right. something like, I was expecting like, because I've watched it before and I felt that like, ooh, is it getting into like Jigsaw from the Saw movies territory of just like, is this kind of 
what it's thinking is dumb. Yeah. Um, so I was more kind of going in looking for that or being wary. But the new nuance, like I noticed in this rewatch, was when the conversation between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, when it's something to the degree he kind of asked the question to Morgan Freeman, it's like, it's not said like this, but it's like, wait, so the way you're responding to other people's apathy is to be apathetic? Like, that mm. doesn't make any sense. And I was like, oh, this movie's just kind of like trying to lay out some, mainly for entertainment, kind of like freaky shit, man. But I don't think the heart of it is really like saying, and this is the way it's gotta be. The way like that threw off Morgan Freeman, it did make me think, and that's the last thing I'll say, just like whatever that experience was with Kevin Spacey. You know, the 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 um, David Foster Wallace stuff of like the new sincerity, the idea of new sincerity. Like, yes, we used irony to reject a lot of the s uh, superficial things we all hated, but what are we doing to put in its place? More irony? Just uh, irony cannot be a substitute, or nihilism can't be a substitute for rejecting stuff that we thought was corny. There's got to be something new there. I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's what's being in this, that question between Brad Pitt is good. You know, he's saying like, I don't understand what the end point of this is. Like you are, uh, you're saying people are nihilistic. So the way you're reacting is more nihilism. It is like a, a weird pact people were kind of making at that time. Yeah, and it's interesting that the way the movie ends, what's the quote, the Morgan Freeman quote? Oh, the, I believe the world is bad, but it's worth saving, or good, and I believe it's worth saving. I believe the second part. But I, I don't know. I think he's still, he thinks the world is good. I, you know. Well, even if he doesn't, doesn't he right. thinks it's worth saving. So he's he is saying he ultimately he's not apathetic. He's cynical, but he's not apathetic. Yeah. And, and you can say... How much of that is due to age and experience? Had this not have happened, would Brad Pitt naturally get to that level? He certainly probably will be now. Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, too bad there wasn't a sequel, so we could explore Brad Pitt getting you out mean, of jail. A, a ta -ta. Yeah, so where would the eight numeral go in the G, of course? A lowercase yeah. g, yeah. obviously. And they sink it down <laughs> subscript. Yeah. Yeah. I but mean, what, do you have to find an eighth sin? Or is it, oh, it would be, what's e, uh, eight is enough? It would be murders on, based on the family members of eight is enough. Not Fellini's eight and a half. <gasps> what are other famous eights? Yeah. Not, what is it? Not octopus arms. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> this murder here represents the third lateral tentacle. Oh, I know what it would be. And it's weird that it, they just didn't do this. The first eight Friday the 13th movies. Oh, right. A killer. I, I mean, I do and I don't want to go through. reference to. Yeah, we don't well, know. I, I do and I do, don't want to go through the, the, the movies the leading eights. up. Like, what's the most famous one? in just movies or like we're culturally life. like when you like oh. like there's seven deadly sins is it 
What was just the national, the consciousness for the number one for a person? Col- no, like, like the president? Col- culturally or, or spiritually or historically. Like how there's seven deadly sins. You can say there are seven. There's seven dwarves. Oh. Like so, this movie could have been about kills done in the style of the seven different dwarves. Yes, I see. And if they had done prequels, that was just one. Yeah. What well, would be the one? Is it the Harry the Nelson rule? song? Oh, I mean... It, <laughs> They'd be like, if this killer was building up to seven, I think yeah. he'd first go, number one, the golden rule. But it has to be something one, one like one related. Like there are seven. The, the movie has to be called one. Mm. Okay. So, yes. So, oh, the U2 song. There it is. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, there's so he kills death. Bono. <laughs> and what's two? <laughs> two. Yeah, two. Um, it's T for two. No, what is it? Two. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> no, that, I see what you're saying. It yeah. has to have two. Paul, get this in your head, you dingleberry. And in the movie's called Two. Two. And we can't go with a sequel with two in it. We're not going to take that kind of... It could be. It could be Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, because this is like discounting Godfather three. And so the murders, cause that's like the famous one and two. That's good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the murders are in the style of, um, a Corleone hit Salazzo in the first one. Yeah. And then what's the most famous, mur- I guess Fredo. Yeah. So they take you out in a boat <laughs> yeah. and shoot you. Yeah. And then three, <laughs> three's company. Well, your brother watches from a house. <laughs> uh, Three, oh, uh, Three Dog Night. Oh, yeah. Three Musketeers. Three Dog Night. Three. The Three Dog... How about Three Dog Night as the Three Musketeers? There it is, clearly. And then four... Uh, D'Artagnan. Oh, D'Artagnan was a bullfrog. D'Artagnan was a Porthos. A very good <laughs> Athos of mine. I think I told you how I was like... that. Those lyrics are weird when you sing them like with in a kids' choir. Did you ever do that, like singing in music class yeah. or something? Because it's like joy to the world, all the boys, and that, that all works. But then it's like, um, and she always made a mighty fine wine. Uh, it's like I loved her tits and her ass. That's like, like oh, speaking I don't think they should be teaching this. Have you ever seen the point by Harry Nilsson? Speaking of Harry Nilsson, yeah, I that love kids yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and the song is amazing. Me and my arrow, yeah, it's like yeah. a kid song about a boy and his dog, basically. Yeah, but then it gets to the bridge, and it's to me very clearly about a one night stand. And when I wake up in the morning, she may be gone. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Although that, I might have been. And singing that to the melody of the meat puppets and when, and when I, I wake, wake up, up in the morning, morning i feel the sunshine on my face all right four what's four we got to get at least up to seven uh oh oh four um the four horsemen, horsemen. oh a jinx knock on wood you by the way coke. i saw a movie we talked about recently oh yeah. after we talked about it yeah it was yeah it was okay yeah it was pretty good yeah that's okay five um, oh, I really want to tell the Five Goes West story that I told on the Scream commentary, if I may. Please. But 
I don't know why I thought of it just that because moment. five, five, five. Whoa. Yeah. Five. So this movie is in the murders in the style of five goes West. Yeah. Cause he is bloodthirsty in that movie. Kills and do you people. think Somerset is still the one like who, cause he like knew all about Milton and Dante and Somerset's like, you need to go down to your local blockbuster and do some research. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He rents them. It's not David Mills who, who's this time is, well, he's not even here yet. Never mind. He only shows up in seven. All right, right, six. which makes it seem like uh, Somerset. Where, what took you so long to get hip to the seven murders? You've yeah. seen six of them already. <laughs> what if we criticize the movie Seven for being like you're not even acknowledging the first six? <laughs> or they solve part one and they go, "We did it." He goes, "No, this is just beginning." What is it? We just we just we caught the guy. This yeah, I think for a good of... prequel, you just do one through six as one movie. Okay. Oh, that's too bad. But and then and then the third part is the eights and the nines. What's and six? The nine. What's six? Six is six. Six the, cents. Uh, the magnificent six. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that is what it is because he kills in the style. Of the Magnificent Seven, but he kills one of the Magnificent Seven because he doesn't can't think of another six. So he bring he kills one of them, made six. Now, but seven. the problem is if you can kill one of the Magnificent Seven, how magnificent are they? So for them to solve this, they have to realize that these are done in the style of the pretty good six. Yeah, the pretty hey, not too bad. Uh, yeah, e- uh, easy with the Magnificent Six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now tell your Fievel story. Okay, um, much like um, The Magnificent Seven, Fievel Goes West is one of the most beloved Westerns. <laughs> uh, John John Ford directed it, I believe. Yeah, on the set with Fievel. They had their arguments. A lot of, uh, well, Fievel wouldn't do that. You know? uh, and, and he's right, because Fievel, he's played that part. And John Ford is just coming in to do the sequel. Yes, no, he it's doesn't. too bad though. In the end, that we found out kind of like just how bigoted and conservative Fievel was. In the end, you know, Big yeah, it does. Sure, but... I mean, talk about separating the art from the artist. What about the mouse from the mouses? Uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so Fievel goes west. Uh, 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 apologies uh, for people who heard this on the uh, the little scream commentary we did. I'll do it at one point five speed, like I'm doing right now. So you can, uh, uh, I'll just real quick. At a sleepover party at my friends, we were watching Five O Goes West. This was about fifth grade, so this was the point where you could be watching a movie like Five O Goes West, and hey, maybe next year you're watching Demolition Man. And three years you're going to be watching Seth Seven. Seven, with girls no less. So, uh, you know, we're kind of on the precipice of... No girls allowed at this Five screening. Too hot. It'd be too much of a tinderbox. Talk about an aphrodisiac. Especially with this very blue and body joke that I made as an an 11-year-old, I think, I guess I was. It was my first four... Foray into dirty to work in blue to work in blue and guys I know it's cringe to talk about a joke you made that was funny before but this, come on I was fifth, fifth grade, grade come on and it's more about how it was dirty so yeah get off <laughs> seriously Jesus I don't know who I'm talking to I, that was more my I do my subconscious that I would say that too but uh, so I. 
in the movie, Fievel has a, a mirage in the desert. He thinks he sees his family. He goes, he runs up to hug his mother. The mirage disappears, and Fievel re- realizes, oh, he's actually hugging a cactus. And he has, like, little cactuses in his face and on his tongue. And I joked, Fievel says, wow, mommy, you have a pokey pussy. <laughs> Man, when you were blue at fifth grade, you worked blue. <laughs> yeah, dark blue. And the room's reception? Laughs. Killed laughter. It. Killed, killed it. it. And then, then so began dirty jokes for the, I mean, that became oh, probably. You broke the sadly, dam. Sad that Sadly, that became the majority of the jokes then. But oh, well done. You know what? I'm sure people, people are going to say, hey, no, 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 no. Ryan was working blue before that. No, no, no. Brett oh, was working right. blue. No. So I, I give credit. Maybe it wasn't. I wasn't the first person to know. work. I mean, you've got this national mouthpiece right now where you can lay down on record. But that's what's unfair. You know, these guys, they but, don't have but a, a podcast I believe you. to be able You're to true. say no. I believe you that you were the first to work blue. And I think it's best that they don't have a mouthpiece because they would just be spreading lies. How about this? Yeah. Working blue with the P-U-S-S-Y word, I think was maybe the, the ground that I was breaking. I see. And I should be very proud of this, I guess. Do you think that's like, do you, were you, how long were you conscious of that word in that? context before was that like you just heard it and you're like i got this in my back pocket now i just looking for the moment i had known that word i remember learning what that was in fourth grade i think mm. and i remember hearing so you sat on that for a year <laughs> and i remember hearing an absurd argument between my two neighbors who were older than me they were a grade older than me i know what that word is right this is the best overheard line of an argument I've ever heard. I yeah. saw my two neighbors. Uh, they would have been in fifth or sixth grade, I guess, at the time. Fifth. One of them says, Justin, no, a pussy is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he was so feeling right about something so wrong. Oh, my God. And I what remember if, thinking, like, God, easy. What if he still thinks that? Justin was saying it to Greg, so it was more Greg, a pussy is a dick, because I remember feeling oh. for Greg. I was like, eh, I think Greg. You didn't step into, like, you know, standing by and doing nothing is one of the... Yeah, but you know what? I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I could have done a whole thriller about, like, a rear window style, like, do I dare step in? Kitty Genovese, yeah. Um, I think I wasn't so sure on my details yet. I don't know if I could have come in as the expert. I didn't have like. I'm still not sure. I wouldn't have stepped up. Well, most times we start episodes by saying, (laughs) I don't want to say it again. (laughs) We we understand. (laughs) Speaking of uh, one of those. The latter part. Let's go take a pee break. Okay. With Corley and Ryan. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. With and rest. Okay. Um Oh, so the the, the, the what I was going to say was with um, the Spacey is now kind of like the embodiment of and face of 90s snark. Yeah. You know, him getting killed at the end, then it kind of just feel like a, like an answer. Like, don't you feel like Somerset kind of is like little um, goth boy? through the first half of the movie and then when he starts reading like John Doe's journals Mm -hmm. he's like ooh is this how I come off to people (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then he starts trying to find like a way to be like I'm not gonna be like this John Doe guy that's he's a loser (laughs) yeah it's almost kind of an interesting parallel for the formation of the script where what's the screenwriter Andrew Andrew Kevin Walker Andrew Kevin Walker Texas Ranger was kind of a suburban guy living in New York found it to be very dismal, wrote this script, got it out there. Who, how did he, he called yeah, up? He called up uh, David Kep. That's right. And said, hey, just by looking up his name in the phone book, sent it to David Kep. David Kep was like, this is good. I'll hook you up with my agent, Gavin Pallone. If you got, uh, his name comes up with creative folks. Yeah. And then it took a few years, but they were, he thought they would be uh, able to sell it and set it up, make it immediately because of Silence of the Lambs. But, but it was like, it was too is, dark. Is Yeah, how dark it was. So it got developed in over and over. I think there were like eight or nine drafts mm-hmm. into uh, a more tolerable ending, let's say. And when um, they finally sent it to David Fincher, they accidentally sent him the first draft, which, of course, he responded to. Because mm-hmm. the way he tells it, it's like he had seen the movie before where with the last 20 pages to go, the woman, the wife of the cop is alone in an apartment and you see somebody going to attack her while the cop's at another place. And he's like, all right, we got to do this. And then when the c- killer turned himself in, then it was like, oh, this is... This movie is fully awesome now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was something that, yeah. And, um, uh, got changed. So then, yeah, it, well, then it was like, well, th- I, what I was going to say was that Brad Pitt had it in his contract that the ending couldn't be changed if he was to do it. And even during the whole making of m- number of the producers were like, Oh, this will change. There's no way. There's just no Hollywood way mm-hmm. where this thing is going to end up with this ending. And Brad Pitt did have to, pull his weight around and show that he had it in his contract and they got to that's star power put to the best use in the world serving like the creative uh, vision yeah and then you have David Fincher who had such a horrible time with studio meddling on Alien 3 he had quit movies comes back for this he must have been gearing up for a fight I mean how could he ever think that this one that's why he was but it did I will never work with 
a non-movie star again. Like it's basically oh, yeah. like, yeah, there's mm. some sort of protection of. Wow, interesting. Uh, I mean, that could backfire if the movie star wants to do something different than must, you do. Yeah, but yeah. at this point, most people, I think, if you're like, oh, I want to serve this guy's vision. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Brad Pitt saying, yeah, you got to do it this way, and it is the way the movie. It doesn't David Fincher say like, oh, you'd make this just so. 10 years from now at a cocktail party, somebody's like, you know, I watched that movie last night, that yeah. movie where the, it ends with the wife's head in the box. Like people would just refer to it as that. I think it that is what's in the box and that stuff. But the power and strength of this movie is if it didn't have the head in the box scene, Matt, it would be the killer movie that's just based on the seven deadly sins. That's already awesome. Yeah. It would have the idea that each crime has already been done and it's leading you to the next one with the clues in it that's an amazing notion that could be its own movie yeah um the guy turning himself in before the ending it could be known as that movie like if it wasn't the head of the box movie it could be like oh the movie where the guy turns himself in yeah it if it didn't have any of that stuff, it would be known as the dildo knife movie. Dildo <laughs> knife gets forgotten in all this because there's so much like crazy, awesome stuff in the movie. But like any of those elements, it could have easily been like notorious just for that. Right? Yeah. And the guy kept alive for a year. I, that was one thing that always stayed with me after seeing this movie. Cause what is it like of him? Cause the he, methodical. Oh, Oh, just the guy itself. Yeah. Well, just that scene where the profile scene of him gasping, for air because he's so made over he looks like a prosthetic dummy and then when he comes to life it's insane yeah this is not a, a, a I wouldn't put this if we were looking for flaws in the movie this is not a flaw but the power of that SWAT team reveal of the guy that you're talking about on the bed his eyes and stuff is so crazy that there's a couple set pieces subsequently that try to end with a punctuation mark like that. That's not like the dildo knife scene. Yeah. Like that sex shop scene doesn't. I feel like the movie's kind of going like, let's just get to the uh, uh, interrogation scene because that sex shop is pretty like glamorous, glitzy. It doesn't really indulge in the grime yeah. or something. Uh, but just that that like isn't as uh, drawn out as the SWAT team sequence. Just when that happened, I just remember thinking like, it ain't no guy on the bed going like, bleep, 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 feed me, you know, like that's a hard thing to top until the end. Yeah. man. Uh, so when you saw that, that was like, did you in your mind? I remember thinking, I don't know if that's prosthetic or human. That's what I was thinking. I think I thought it was just a dummy. And so I was, surprised yeah i just ex like everybody in that scene expected it him to be dead because also everybody's been dead prior to this every victim right and that's the other thing uh, that david fincher was saying i remember reading an interview it's about like the thing that the audience is most kind of rattled by in seven is that all the murders have already happened and the idea that you're coming to something that's already been done rather than you can have a chance of stopping it before yeah. it happens is like a big rewiring of like people's expectations that I do think is like the, if this was a precursor to Zodiac, 
just the idea of like a guy having a sort of trademark, whether it's letters to the newspaper mm-hmm. and I'm going to tease about more or seven. Well, there's seven deadly sins. So that kind of teases that there's going to be more. And then also just how the city kind of the media relates to it. It's all Zodiac stuff. Yeah. And that, Oh shit. No, uh, I was going to say, because it was the um, killer. Oh, oh, that you won't that, necessarily the the reveal of the killer of Zodiac isn't a done deal. Yeah, but for this, that it's so watertight. This movie, I I often find in movies like this that are so tight, so intricate in their revelations and everything that you think back on it and you go, oh well, this couldn't be, this couldn't be. There's nothing in this film that jumps out at me, and I thought this time when they go into his apartment, I thought, oh. Well, here's where we'll see a flaw because he would have um, evidence of upcoming murders or something that they're going to find or something like that. But there's really nothing left to do except the final two. Right. Yeah. I don't see any. And their procedural argument before that is so good. Yeah. Like you feel both of their cases. I also love in that scene when Somerset like puts... Um, him uh, against the Brad Pitt against the wall, and he goes like, "Sorry, sorry, sorry." Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. so in character of like, I'm not the cop guy who throws another cop up against the wall. Yeah. Um, but then uh, you can see how both of their sides, and then the work that the movie does of paying off the fake tip off person, yeah. so that it gets like to your point of like how it's pretty airtight. They're not like jumping over stuff in a way that these kind of like high concept serial killer movies can do where you start going like, but what about, yeah, what about? it just checks out. And yeah. because to make something like this believable, this guy's worked on this for a year, this series of murders, he hasn't left much to chance, which a lot of movies do dark Knight, skyfall. When you think back on them, there's so much randomness that would have never allowed these plans to work the way they unfold in the yeah. movie. This really isn't that way. I mean, there's a little suspension. And I don't know if those movies would have ever been written the way they are. If not for seven, I I could see an argument like the screenwriter wouldn't never had the idea of the Joker turning himself in and having another hour to go with his plan. Yeah. But there's just, there's some things in here where you're kind of like, okay, so he goes to this sloth victims house and keeps him alive and the landlord has left him alone because he leaves cash in his mailbox. But has there ever been a moment where the landlord n- and needed to get in there to like fix the gas line or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's possible. It's just all very possible. Yeah, but, but I the mean, independent wealthy thing is just like a cool little tidbit that's enough yeah, and to you get don't you know them. why or how. Yeah, they which is interesting that name. you're saying that because the game following this. Um, uh, is uh, David Fincher's like comment, uh, audio commentary is about, oh, the game is about like movie making and how much can you push something to the levels of suspension of disbelief for the person in the game, but also the audience watching the game. But Seven is like the opposite of that. It's not ever yeah. really trying to like l- let you in on the game. I mean, like it's so... Um, you know, you can just see the amateurs from the pros of like, oh, yeah. there's been lots of these type of dark, twisted 
killer movies. Copycat, which was coming out yeah, right on right. the heels of this. Yeah, yeah truly and copycat. Sigourney Weaver's like, we, need, we, we can't put this out. It's too similar. And they were like, nah, it's, this, it's different. <laughs> Alien 3 is uh, yeah. Sigourney Weaver. But the, um, that, uh, yeah, that, oh, oh, the two things I think like do kind of distinguish Seven, though, is the... Um, it is a serial killer movie, but it's the first time one of the detectives is like, and this could just be a post Tarantino thing. Like they can reference pop culture. Yoda. Yeah. They're saying Yoda I remember and Serpico. Really igno- acknowledging that in the theater, like going, wow, Oh yeah. When I heard him say Yoda in that scene, I yeah. was like, Oh, I didn't know in these kinds of movies, you could say Yoda. I know. <laughs> Which is interesting because the movie itself takes pains to be a little timeless and sort of vague geographically. We talked about this, I think, briefly last mm-hmm. time that this movie's shot in L.A. Mm-hmm. And if you really sat and looked at it, I think you'd know it was L.A. I, mm-hmm. being raised here watching it, definitely see L.A. But the rain takes you out of L.A. Mm-hmm. The downtown living mm-hmm. really takes you out of L.A. Because mm-hmm. these people would not live where they're living if this was LA. And there's no, uh, I mean, it took me so long to realize that watching it, that it was in LA because I think there's no or so few wide establishing shots. And it really, no, that's like what makes it, you you feel like you're entering hell at the beginning of that movie. There's not even like Uh a gasp of air to show him walking up to the building. He's already like going to the crime scene. You're like, Ooh, Jesus Christ. Until you get out to, the fields at the end. Yeah. Well, even when the f- first sun starts to rise on Sunday and it has that like amazing, the street light hitting a street that's just been rained on, but the sun is coming out. Like yeah. when that first hits and it feels creepy, you're like, Oh my God, I'm in a movie where the light seems creepy now. <laughs> yeah. But the movie's not really set in LA, right? It's just, no, it's, yeah. yeah. Any it's town or any whatever. Any town. It's very, but the fact that I drew Kevin Walker, what you said before, Oh, what were you going to say? York the fact well, it's just fascinating. And I was kind of trying to just for fun, make sense of it where I could buy that Somerset has been on the force since maybe this is 95. So, mm-hmm the sixties maybe. Mm-hmm. And there was a time at the tail or early sixties where downtown LA was still slightly livable as a metropolitan city. And he got started there with the force and he just stayed there. Mm-hmm. But there's just no world where this young couple, there is a world where they come in and they get fooled and they kind of justify that by the realtor saying this and that and this, but Oh, well I was holding that wanna... in my pocket as the one flaw of the movie. Well, this, but, by the way, yeah. the, the L train thing. Yes, definitely. That every five minutes detail. Yeah. They would have come by at least once before their dinner. Yeah. Morgan, they, they coming up in that moment during their dinner. Yeah. That's when I go, but that's okay. But that they would have wanted to go there regardless of the train felt off to me. But that when you take it out of LA and you understand that this is just meant to be metropolitan USA. Oh, it could be the Chicago, Chicago L train. Philly, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. And it it is what makes this movie not that dated even though there's there, there's a slight look you know where they they had that kind of silver nitrate on the film so yeah but he invented that black. essentially right. so like, but, but it was copied yeah. so you'd think it could look more right. dated and there's the music a little bit mm-hmm. but other than that but the music's already, so sparing like the music cues are pretty light and uh 
Yeah. Yeah. I just mean like the nine inch nails kind of. Oh thing. yes, yes, yes. But then other than that, there's, um, it's got a throwback to the seventies. It's got a gritty Frankenheimer look. Or forties noir. Yeah. Forties noir. So yeah. if it feels dated, it doesn't necessarily feel nineties. It feels kind of classic. Yeah. It feels way. real timeless. Yeah. Down yeah. to that city doesn't get a name. The killer's John Doe. Yeah. Like people are wearing like fedora hats. His yeah. look, Kevin yeah. Spacey's look. It, it really reminds me too. Uh, if you, you can listen to um, Robert town and David Fincher on YouTube, have a, somebody ripped off the DVD, the commentary oh. for Chinatown. Oh, and you just, Oh, like you can see how much Chinatown is like in seven, like mm. how, you can do cool things with the brim of a fedora so you don't see somebody's yeah. eyes. But the um, Kevin Spacey's look, you don't know it's Kevin Spacey at the time when he's like running away. Yeah. Come and get me, compass, yeah. kind of yeah. thing. That little outline silhouette is the most genre I think the movie yeah. gets, but I don't, I love it. Uh, yeah. But it looked a little this time uh, like Inspector Gadget. Yeah, or like the cover <laughs> for the replacement bureau, <laughs> the poster. <laughs> <laughs> it was expector gadget yeah oh do you mean the adjustment bureau well no this movie felt like inspector gadget but this too felt like that yeah the adjustment bureau yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah what did i say the replacement <laughs> no but i just wanted to, yeah the because uh, adjustment bureau is the movie where you can go through this door if you wear this hat yeah <sighs> okay, okay. <laughs> i want to shout out Arlie Ermey, who was also considered for John Doe, hmm. but they thought he was too sinister. So yeah. they gave him the chief police. But this did not need to be in this movie, this moment. But it is so funny when he's sitting at the desk and he gets a call and he picks up the phone. This is not even my desk. Yeah, I love it. it. God, that's funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I also like that line when he goes, So some wacko, uh, so some fat boy pissed off a killer and he took care of him. Big deal. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, the thing, oh, what, but you were saying that Andrew Kevin Walker, like moving to New York and kind of feeling. Yeah. That really comes through with the Gwyneth Paltrow character being like, ah, I'm living in the city. Uh, I don't know if it's a place where I want to raise my kid. And, and just like the fear of moving to a town. Uh, with the spouse's work. So you have to be yeah. committed to that. Um, but her just sort of like, I, 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 I don't know if I can make it here. Yeah. It's such like a true honest reaction to like getting thrown into a big intimidating city. And I won't yeah. even put it on the city. I'll just say for a person, it can be yeah. intimidating. And that scene between her and Morgan Freeman, when he says, if you're going to have this child, you Oh, it's the best it. scene in the movie reaction. She's really good. Yeah. In this movie. Yeah. When he it says spoil on the baby, yeah. she, she was so good before she kind of became gooped. And I think whether that has anything to do with her acting, not being as engaging now, because she's basically just did Marvel movies for yeah. whatever. But this, um, talented Miss Ripley. I'm a fan of Shakespeare in Love. I think she's great. Oh, without that. a doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, Ingenues and It Girls um, get there because they're extremely talented, skilled, yeah. and charismatic screen actors. Emma, she was so good. At and, then, and then, and uh, then, uh, that both 
studio forces, like big movie studios, but also art house movies, I feel like kind of chew them up real quick and spit them out. Yeah. And uh, somebody has to really well, especially in this work case hard to... Weinstein. Yeah, no, yeah. with her and then... Um, right? I mean, plenty of... People who win uh, Oscars, uh, particularly uh, women, when they win Oscars, you can see this, like, Hollywood loves the idea of, like, giving a crown to the young princess who just got into town two years ago. Like, that story gets told over and over again, and it's a little then after that, kind of like, okay, now you're going to be... a superhero's wife or a superhero's mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like sort of where you wind up. So I feel for her. She got through through a little bit in the goop pit, but hey, what kind of podcast is this? Somebody saying, I feel for Gwyneth Paltrow. You don't hear that too much. Well, we're, we're uh, to go but there. she is so good in that scene. Her reaction was, yeah, when he says, you got to spoil that child and her face breaks up. There's another, I think it's maybe from the same... The next year, she's in Hard Eight, yeah. and there's a scene I've never seen that. that's also Gwyneth Paltrow's like best acting, where maybe not best acting, which is like awesome. Somebody has an argument. There, she's sitting in a diner, exactly like that. Somebody has an argument behind her uh, in the background, like an extra, but it's set up for the scene. And he's like, "Well, fuck it already, just fuck it." The guy like runs out, and she turns back. And then she looks back at the person and goes like, with her face. And it's like that thing happens all the time in life. Yeah. You hear a little argument and then when you turn back to us, we go, what's going on over there? You can think it's not us. Uh, but lots of facial reaction, diner booth acting at its peak for uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. those two movies. And I think Brad Pitt's good in this. I think he's maybe working a little overtime where the rest of the the world isn't in this movie. He's still a little young man actory, and his his character, the homophobia of his character that comes up a couple times is kind of jarring, but also sadly pretty real for maybe someone oh, yeah. of that time and sure. station. Yeah, it's interesting. He's doing a little bit more than he probably needs to. You know what? It, uh, you're right. It would throw off the balance, I think. It would be weird if then Morgan Freeman wasn't like the rock that yeah. he, like yeah. his, yeah, Brad Pitt's doing all that stuff. If he just got his hair cut from Legends of the Fall, so he loves running his forearms over the top of his head and yeah. he's doing all that stuff. I, you know, love it because yeah. I was at a time where he was the most, you know, magnetic person. Yeah. I totally see the technique or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I think if Morgan Freeman was also bringing that game to your point of yeah. like, oh, he seems to be the only one like going really sometimes hard. Yeah. Then it would feel like it does feel like now characters. It's like, oh, the yin and yang of these two characters. Uh, somebody's yes. a hothead. Somebody's uh, the the thing. Yeah, with Morgan Freeman being like when he looks out at the city when he's driving to the library and he looks out and he sees the bodies and he kind of looks depressed about it. Yeah. I know that should be like the moment of guy who's lived in the city for years and he's like, and I feel it. I do feel it, but 
it still seems like it comes from the Andrew Kevin Walker place of being new to a city. Yeah. Like, right. and who knows the wisdom of a cop who's been doing it for 34 years. That's a pretty hard thing to write. But like that stuff, some kind doesn't work for me. His, 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 he doesn't go full tilt that character, but there's just some stuff of like, this sounds more like angsty teenager, 20 something writing. Mm-hmm. What a, rather than the most it's best is in that diner scene when he says, I never regret the choice I made, but I, there's a day that doesn't go by when I think about it. I'm like, that seems to be what yeah. wisdom in life is. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, somehow that movie manages to dodge the bullet of seven days till retirement. It, like that I being know. a thing in the movie and you there's just go like, of, oh, whatever. There's a lot of potential Tropes. cliches yeah. in this movie that it does somehow elevate. Yeah, maybe it's because it finds a, a, without a doubt, a theme and the idea of the hothead cop and the reserved cop. It, it's almost kind of like interrogating that. Like, yeah. well, is it so wrong to be a hothead and what are the ramifications of that? But hey, what's also the ramifications of being the cool, detached onlooker who just goes like, all we do is kind of get things into tidy piles and, you know, put them away on a shelf just so we can refer to them later when the world is at, like he has such a bleak, yeah. Point of view that I don't know. Uh but Gwyneth Paltrow, uh there I don't think oh what I was you know, just when you can tell from other people's serial killer movies that are bad, the stuff that makes this you go, Oh, this is like a true filmmaker is just like all those there's probably like four to five of them, just like straight out character scenes. Mm. where two people are talking and you understand the point of the thing of the scene without it hitting too hard and yeah. you're invested like in another per- in a hack's hands that would have been stuff also just that the story is about like having a child as opposed to like I gotta see you I think my husband's too obsessed with this case <laughs> like that being the story like there's rich stuff in all of this yeah. it's really good yeah um, the uh, just some of the Oh, 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 that the the things that seem different about this is that the detectives seem to be aware of pop culture, like Yoda, yeah. Serpico. When he says, uh, I was trying to impress Jodie Foster, but the one that's like the most is when he says to the serial killer, you're not anybody, you're a fucking t-shirt. Yeah. I was like, wow, this movie's so up to date. They know about those like serial killer t-shirts that get sold at head shops and stuff. And that's something that's not at all in Silence of the Lambs. Like Brad Pitt has a joke of like, how are we going to go up to this guy? Uh, Excuse me, sir, but are you a serial killer? That kind of like awareness of how this movie fits into other serial killer stuff, I think is like totally Uh, new. Um, But then also just like, Dude, the fluid talk in this movie. <laughs> anything that can come from your body is somehow like involved in this yeah. to the point where he's like, we went and got the attorney. He had sweated through his chair. It's like, oh, we're also doing perspiration. Yeah, that's it, this movie does get under your skin. It's grimy. It's it's there. It feels a bit like you need to take a shower emotionally, physically, yeah, spiritually, everything. Is that what felt new about it? I guess when it first came out, it was just like that it felt a particular type of 
bleak chic i think they called it oh really bleak bleak. chic yeah Yeah. it washes over you i i do remember being affected by like there's a rare movie where you walk out kind of going you can't quite shake it off yeah well in so many 80s movies particularly would have gone up until the point of killing kevin spacey yeah uh, of of uh of the brad pitt getting hauled away yeah you know what i mean uh and then the wife yeah yeah Um, there's there's we're lucky we live in the multiverse where, where this movie was what it was because every other path it, they're right. It would have been something so tamped down, which also makes me think there's some shitty movies out there that were once amazing scripts yeah. that are, were as good as seven that we never got to see. You hear yeah. stories about that. I can't think of any at the top of my head, but it's definitely a place in time though. Like who knows if the seven had been made, Four years earlier, it might not have fit the sentiment of the yeah. time. You know, I think like whatever grunge was, the kind of yeah. like stylization of like grit yeah. is in this. Uh, but like, I don't know, the uh, like, I remember John Carpenter talking about like, oh, in the 80s, it was just all this emphasis on, for the first time, on your own body like jogging and aerobics and uh, aerobic videos at me and yeah. And gyms uh, are opening up and that's just part of your um, daily experience now is going to a gym to sculpt your body. Um, Just talking about the thing and how that like was in his mind at the time. But um, I don't know, watching this, I did think like, well, if the one thing we know best is our own like bodies, it kind of makes sense to have that be the thing that a horror movie really right. gets at because it's the thing you know most. But also, like, I don't know, whatever that pocket of the 90s was that maybe also just been like, hey, it's the peak of AIDS. We're not really thinking the enemy is... Russia and it's not post 9-11 so the only thing that really seems threatening right now is like our own bodies yeah because what did you have splinter uh, species yeah 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 movies like that and even Jurassic Park just being this thing of like biological reproduction of an animal and stuff that that's like where it would be scary but the um yeah, like the uh, even the guy like on the bed at the end, he looks like an AIDS victim. Or so. I'm not being like yeah, crude. No, it's just like sure. it's sort of about like that time. I mean, even the comedies and stuff. Jo- there's something about Mary and stuff are jokes about the stuff that comes out of your body. Like yeah. for the first time, people are like talking about fluids in your bodies. It was a yeah. Oh, what a wonderful time it was. <laughs> but I, I just don't see a well now. I mean, you mentioned it, just these things like so much stuff has been taken from this and this movie had never existed. CSI and all this stuff, just like that green hue that's in stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Remember when the movie three Kings, it color timed the three chapters of the film, three different ways. Oh, so it had that really like bleached out look in the, beginning i can't remember which is which but yeah they talked talked about that yeah. yeah there's some stuff like um alien three 
like you could kind of see some practice run stuff like the steamy sink shower stuff yeah. where she shaves her head i guess yeah. like that enough to get it back in the when they're shaving the have the steam on the mirrors and stuff before they go oh, out yeah um but the all the if you watch alien 3 all the character dramatic scenes are really great. Yeah. So that's like when you see seven, you're like, okay, I, I see a connection there. The thing that I did notice was like, this movie's so awesome that I can just like have an amazing SWAT siege sequence, a great run of like two dram dramatic sequences. And then this like badass foot chase that becomes like a cat and mouse thing. But at the point when Brad Pitt was like underneath the truck and up above him was John Doe and kind of like this long black trench coat. I was like, this is an Alien 3 Ripley oh, alien yeah. cat and mouse foot chase sequence that we never really got to I see know. in Alien 3. I mean, that's when Alien 3 really falls apart is when they are running through those tunnels. They don't know where they're going or where the alien is and stuff. But that foot chase is like just one of the, yeah. the best. Yeah. Um, what was the... Um, the... Uh, Something that is 90 is that broken typeface. Something. Oh, no, there's nothing. No, I'm saying something 90s in the movie is, though, the broken typeface of like Friday. Yeah, there's nothing so 90s as that is what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing more 90s. Than <laughs> Were you going to say something, man? I'm sorry. If no, I, uh, I'm, I'm basically um, along for the ride at this point. Yeah, I'm trying to think of um, uh, some stuff here that. Um, Oh, I like the little touches of um, hints and stuff, like when Kevin Spacey shows up as the photographer guy. Yeah. He's like, he's got his own little, hey, yeah. what are you doing? Bunning, stumping. <laughs> uh, but then when he develops them and they look at the pictures of the bathtub, those look like flat out, like page six New York Post tabloid photos. Uh, yeah. Like he's like... Somerset his partner were out on the town and he's coming out of a bar. So, uh, the, um, oh, 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 uh, sorry for the pause guys. Is, is the apartment, is Kevin Spacey living there full time or is that like his serial killer pad where he goes to work? I mean, he is Good coming question. home with groceries but he's Ooh. independently wealthy. So he's choosing to live in squalor and write his little notebooks. Yeah. If it's independently wealthy, it might be like, Oh, he's got a big nest egg. So, but he, it requires him to live in squalor. But if he has a really big nest egg or that's just like his, uh, yeah. we studio. <laughs> yeah. Workspace. Yeah. We work. We work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where do you think he goes to? Where is his house? Is it like, um, I mean, in the Hollywood Hills? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Maybe he has a penthouse in downtown, you know? Um, and it's like Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, there's some stuff that I like do appreciate. Like when they, the SWAT team comes up and, the cops, the detectives are rolling their eyes and like, God, they get off on this like so fucking much. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and then I was thinking like, Oh, this is just a different time. Uh, not different time. It's like, you can't do that anymore. Just like it's different from previous thrillers where, you know, Jason, uh, 
would usually kill, you know, the kids smoking pot or whatever, yeah. having uh, premarital sex. This is like a movie where the cop who leans down to the pedophile and says, you deserve this, like gets it. Yeah. Cause he's like too macho. Yeah. Like, so it is a complicated, like it's not just a easy little, uh, um, it manages to be both nuanced and very, uh, like in your face, like comic book yeah. strokes type of, yeah. Um, it actually does remind me of a comic book from the eighties, like a premium comic book that you would get, mm-hmm. you know, like, Dark Killing Joke or something like that or Dark Knight Returns or yeah and yeah. if the you know Blade Runner is kind of pulling from like those heavy metal movies yeah. comic strips and stuff like the idea of this is coming from right some Frank Miller kind of yeah exactly the idea of the city or um, the uh, idea though that this does come after like Silence of the Lambs the the notion of like the serial killer who is almost blase in their approach to they're they're yeah. brilliant and they're outsmarting the cops and they're not mustache twirling and yeah. yeah and just like when you first hear his voice i guess on the phone you would be like oh he's not trying to sound yeah scary or something but um did you see mine hunter uh-huh. Like it seemed like Mindhunter was like I think David Fincher even said it, it was like the corrective to what he felt was kind of a fake thing movies were pumping out, which is like the Bond villain like yeah. serial killer. Yeah. Cause Mindhunter is all like, yeah, these guys are all perverts. And yeah. they're doing this entirely for sexual gratification. And That's the of- only reason somebody would kill. They're not doing it because they're trying to teach a moral lesson seven different ways through their kills to a public. You know, and like it does make me wonder like what's Kevin Spacey really the John Doe, you don't Oh, it's a hundred percent a fictional construct. Yeah. Here. Like no one could ever pull this off. No one twisted enough to do this would ever actually be able to to pull this off, you know? Yeah. So it's so funny as much as it's stripping away a lot of like, or finding breathing new life and tropes and stuff. This is like as old as like Moriarty, right? Just like the guy who's as smart as the other dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, uh, and I do like the little like kind of good cop, bad cop that happens in those scenes when they're driving the car. Yeah. But it's almost like, dick cop like, <laughs> Brad Pitt is just like a frat guy who's yeah, just sort of really provoking is. and yeah. Morgan Freeman's trying to be the sympathetic uh, you mean when they have him in the back of the yeah, yeah 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 and I love all that stuff how like the feature not a bug thing too of like when the camera like rattles inside that thing it's yeah. so freaky and yeah um but yeah I don't know that um Oh, really love the Marquis de Sade. I know. Charday. Charday. Yeah, Marquis yeah, yeah. de Charday. Yeah. Uh, the, um, and that did seem to be, uh, that, that's something that like in rewatches, I don't love. There seemed to be a nineties preoccupation of we're the smarts and they're the dumbs. Yeah. And the way it would kind of, get friendly to be an audience kind of being like, where are the smarties here? There's some times where I'm like, I mean, I love it, but you're supposed to sometimes I think like, just like, Oh, Brad Pitt's character 
kind of like dumb. Yeah, he is. <laughs> like when he's getting mad, he gets the cliff notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, cliff notes isn't always just uh, for cheating uh, the cashier at B. Dalton's. <laughs> Sometimes you read the book and then you get the Cliff Notes version for what they're made for to help you understand the thing. Uh, did you have a bad yeah. experience at me? Yeah, I went to the Southern Hills Mall and I bought a Cliff Notes thing and I put it down. And she was like, not reading the book? And, and I said, no, the- I am. This is just, it, it helps me understand it. And my mom's my lit teacher. Go fuck yourself. That's my John Doe murders. Killing the employees of B. Dalton and oh, Walden Books. I love that bad customer service, like judgmental customer service. And that's the <laughs> thread between a serial killer's murders. Yeah. Well, we should watch Serial Bob because all oh. her deaths are based on people who have art polite, uh. who lack etiquette. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Any. Um, oh, oh. And the other little like. Little. um references they make like i like when uh he's talking about his wife my wife doesn't even have cable and she's already dead at that point like when he's spooning her that's the last time we see her in the movie and can imagine her alive uh but um the and then when he says um oh my wife is gonna if i'm too late she's gonna think something's up if i come too late from work oh yeah but i wondered like that does that moment does kind of sit there, and he even kind of goes, you know what? And Morgan Freeman goes, what? And he just walks away. Like, uh, I'm surprised people just haven't. He's talking about his wife. He says she's gonna miss me if I'm not home late. And he goes, you know what? You don't ever know what the answer is there. But remember when he's when they're walking back into the station right before John Doe turns himself in, and the. A desk cop goes. You got a call from your yeah, wife. Yeah, that's another good little. So that's clearly. Mm-hmm. She's already dead, and or what? What do you think? Or she called before it happened, or did he make her call? Oh yeah, something. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. It's just the idea that that's like lingering still out yeah. there while the. And what do you think about right before he shoots John Doe? The the one frame or whatever it is, flash of Gwyneth Paltrow's face. Yes, it's just her face. It's yeah. not a face in a box. No, no. Because so many people think face. that you see the box, the head oh, in the no. box and stuff. I think it's obvious when you see it that that's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I meant um, not because of that flash, just yeah. people being like having that response of because they imagined it so much in their mind when right. it was open that they, they, they're dummies. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, though? Do, do you like... Oh, I like it. Yeah, me too. It's very 90s. It's very music video. And it's like Fight Club, the little flash of the penis yeah. that's uh, in that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah uh, it could have been other things. I mean, it could have been like a flash of like um, all the characters in River Run Through It. Like, why did they do Gwen's Paltrow from that movie? It could have literally been anything else. So stupid. Uh, well, this is one where the best kill is actually going to be quite, quite uh, oh. thrilling, you know? Because yeah. you got seven. Technically, I guess you got eight with that ooh. body in the beginning. And then the level of, uh, ooh, do I want to experience that type of... For me, I got to go with... Sloth to me is the worst one. Um, 
That was going to be my answer. Yeah. Uh, I also thought it was funny. That was uh, the most 90s thing was that it was like a guy who hangs out in his bed the whole time with car fresheners, like hanging up his decor. Was what? I mean, when they go into there, yeah. th- those are up yeah. to conceal the smell of the body. Yeah. But I was like, no, this guy's a slacker. Uh, <laughs> Just spends the whole year laying in bed with this shitty kind of decor that he thinks is Watching like interior. Dare. Yeah, the landlord never complains. Uh, so sloth for you. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that's also what um, Richard Donner said to John Mazurak when he casted him in The Goonies. He uh, said, "Sloth for you, sloth for you." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, so Matt, uh, uh, two sloths. Now, what's the before the rating? We, before we rate, ooh, we gotta ooh, read some Zenos. Ooh, 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 and uh, like I said, we're not gonna gotta get rate some Zenos. Yeah, gotta rate some Zenos. Uh, you must rate just some a Zenos. shout out for uh, Gideon Ball. Sorry, yeah, Gideon Ball. Okay, thank you, Gideon. Mm-hmm. Um. Can I please have a baby Zeno shout out from Paul to my girlfriend Rachel, aka my little space worm? Oh. Um, the song brought us, and then there's, it, oh, it's brought us together two years ago, and it's going to be our first wedding dance. Hey. That's uh, Ben Burnett, but the shout out goes to Rachel, the little space worm. Well, Ben Burnett, congrats to you and Rachel on your marriage and may you have a very Rachel a very mighty space worm (laughs) and this is a shout out to Michael DeSalvo thank you for listening Uh, thank you thank you William Byrne would like a shout out in the style of good friends Matt Gorley and Paul Rust Uh, you're our good friend William Byrne. Oh, you're our good friend, William Byrne. Uh, good friend, William Byrne here. Shout out to Sam Von Merryhauser, Meyerhauser. Shout out to uh, Brian Finch. Um, oh, wants his name in the style of a barbershop quartet. Well, there's only two of us, so we'll do what we can. Brian Finch, ready? Brian. <laughs> we did you choose the same note. <laughs> It's like rock scissors paper. One, <laughs> two, three. Brian. <laughs> rock paper scissors. One, two, three. Brian. Finch. Willow Williams would like their shout out to, and we've met Willow before. To uh, Connie Warren and Sean Lichtenstein and the rest of the W with Gorley and Russ Discord. Yeah. Oh, as Dennis Franz. Um, ah, yes. Franzi, uh, Franzi, get in here, Dennis. John McClain, I have to, I have to ease into it. John McClain, you don't do. No, hold on, I'm when, getting oh, there. After you say their names, can you then say who gives a shit? It's Christmas or is what's his line? Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, John. I, oh, it's always so hard for me to find my way into this. Uh, Franzi's hard. I know. You're telling me, McLean. Yeah. Okay, there we go. That's All right. Good. All right, Connie Warren, Sean Lichtenstein. What the hell? It's Christmas. That, 
those were some great names for a Franz yeah, accent. Absolutely. And finally, um, Dan Hodge, can you say it as Brian Johnson from ACDC for the Maximum Overdrive podcast episode, please? Oh, Dan Hodge. <laughs> All right. We'll have more next week. But oh, now. Now, Matt. Uh, was there one more name or we're good? No, that's uh, good no, for this week. I think we'd be remiss, though, if we didn't take a moment to talk about... There are some cozy moments in this movie. Okay. We said that they were queasy. All right. But how about that dinner? The oh, dinner yeah. table scene. That is cozy. And what about that library sequence? Oh, I just want to be all cozed up in that little sweater. When he gives... Um Oh, and Morgan Freeman asks for wine and Brad Pitt brings him back wine in a Collins glass, almost filled to the top. Morgan Freeman takes it and then a few shots later, he picks it up to drink and he looks at it like, what the hell is this? <laughs> All right. Out of 13. Ooh. I mean, let's just recap the thing. You gave it a 13. I gave it a 12. The hand, I gave it an 11. You gave it a 7.5. Suspiria, I gave it an 11. You gave it a 12. The Strangers, we both gave it a 10. This movie? Hey, I'm going to give it a 13. I am as well. I mean, it's rare. I think you get once in a decade a movie like this that comes together with all the right circumstances and the right people and lets it be what it should be. Even if it's not a movie I always want to watch, boy, is it good. Yeah, you're right. It. It could have been entirely different if any of those elements weren't in place. But yeah. we, yeah, we've said before, the best movies are when they got lightning in a bottle. Everybody yep. was right place and right time, and we're the beneficiaries that a camera was just rolling when it was happening. Those are the best. That's right. And a true vision. And hey, started off an amazing uh, career. No kidding. We got the killer coming out. Is it this year with Michael Fassbender? Oh yeah. Venture. Yeah. Another is another serial killer. I think it's... It is, right? I think it's espionage, <gasps> Maddie. What? Yeah, I think it might be you from your World of the Spies. Is it period piece or is it... I don't know anything uh, about I don't it. know about that. Hold on, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it's like a hitman? I could be wrong, but I think it was a... Um, like a sort of a... Was it shot in Europe? Like kind of like a... Upcoming, upcoming American neo-noir action thriller directed by David Fincher by, from a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker. Hey! Wow, based on the French graphic novel series of the same name. The detectives in Fight Club are named Detective Andrew, Detective Kevin, and Kevin, uh, Detective Walker. That's right. So when you'd see the name on the credits, uh, you'd see Andrew Kevin Walker because he rewrote a lot of the script, but he couldn't get credit because of the WGA, so he did. Oh, my oh and also, Matt, I said something really snotty once about like AI and the WGA. I'm totally anti-AI now. Uh, of course, pro WGA all the way. We're striking right now. I, I was being snotty. I, I, I said something remember. months ago that was just like, eh, WGA, who cares? But no, okay. I'm singing a different tune now. Brother. All right, it's on record. This movie's coming out November 10th of this year. Oh my God, I can't Ooh, wait. Damn. Fun, fun, I didn't, fun. I love Michael Fassbender. I love some Fincher. Is it also Tilda Swinton? Yep. Charles Parnell, Arliss Howard, Sophie Charlotte, Tilda Swinton, Swilda Tinton. Arliss Howard. So how many uh, Full Metal Jacket actors has he worked with now, given that Arlie Ermey oh. was in 
<laughs> right. Sit, 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 I bet there are a few more in there. Um, wow. Okay. That's exciting. That's a fun to look forward to. Yeah. Um, Panic Room was a, a home invasion movie we didn't bring up either. I know, last that's week. true. Um, because um, it, could, it would have been an entirely different movie if in The Strangers they showed up and that those that couple had a a, 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 safe, a panic room in yeah. their cabin it would have been an entirely different story if it had been the strangers in the panic room hmm. showing up in the panic room it would have been an entirely different story I don't think they would have been as smart as the the home invaders in panic room what if Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman showed up to a Dwight Yoakam concert <laughs> now are we talking backstage passes or yeah, it's full VIP okay I could see that now what happens when the strangers and Jodie Foster show up looking for them to pay the piper <laughs> uh, alright well, Maddie we'll yes see you next week for um, Sinister Sinister Suspinsteria yeah S-I-N think about sin. that sin one sin or seven we're gonna Mister. have to scale it back alright bye bye for more Gorley and Rust content Head over to patreon.com slash with Worley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Worley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.